church family, I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, the time in our service when we to open up God's Word and feast upon His Word. We pray that we would do that in a way that would bring Him honor and glory, and we have teachable spirits as we go to His Word today. Uh, we are in Philippians chapter 2. The title of our message today is Humble Exaltation from Grave to Throne. Humble Exaltation from Grave to Throne. And as we have done the past couple of weeks, we're going to do again today. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 2, and I want to read verses 1 through 11. We'll focus our attention on verses 9 through 11, but we'll begin um, chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. It's the word of the Lord for His church today. Church family, there's all sorts of ways that we can display humility. There's also all sorts of ways that we can display a lack of humility. And as we've been celebrating the coming of Jesus this Christmas season, um, we've been seeking to dive deep into the humility of our Savior. Jesus displayed extreme humility in a variety of ways. And I think that if we're willing to compare ourselves to Jesus, let the Holy Spirit open up our eyes to to who Jesus is and also to to lower our defenses where we push back and say, oh, I'm I'm better than I really think I am. Um, We don't use those words, but that's what we often say. Um, If we're willing to let the Holy Spirit open our eyes to Jesus, lower our defenses, um, then I think what we'll be able to see is not only the various ways that Jesus displayed humility, but we'll also be able to see the many ways that we often fail at displaying humility. Now, I don't say that to be pessimistic. I don't say that to be negative. I say that because if we want to grow in humility, we must take the time to see and confess the areas of pride in our lives. And, and that confession then will open the door for us to see the many ways that we can imitate Jesus um, and the humility that he has shown. Our text for this Christmas season has been Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, what we just read. Specifically, we've been looking um, closely at verses 6 through 11. And as we've been examining these verses, we've been learning that we should celebrate the coming of Jesus, thinking about his first coming to the earth, by imitating the humility that he displayed through his incarnation, through his crucifixion, and through his exaltation. And that's kind of served as our outline uh, this Christmas season his incarnation, his crucifixion, his exaltation. As we look at those parts of Jesus, his life, his death, and then his exaltation, um, it, it should lead us to celebrate who he is and celebrate by imitating who he is, specifically that humility that he showed. 
Looking at the context of this passage, what we just read, we see that God wanted the Philippian believers to be unified. He wanted there to be a unity among them. We've talked about uh, the reason of, of that is that way they could be unified in the mission to which he had called them. But, but there's also this very real reality that there's pretty much no way that we could be unified with one another if there's pride overflowing within us and coming out of us from our hearts. And so if we're going to be unified, there has to be humility in us. And so Paul writes this letter calling on the believers to have to have unity among them, but also at the same time calling on them to have humility in their hearts so that then they will be able to work together for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul exhorts the believers to be humble there in chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Then in verse 5, Paul points them to Jesus as the ultimate example of humility. He describes his humility in verses 6 through 11. Verse 6 through 7, he points us to that grand incarnation of Christ where the Son of God became human. And there we learn that we need to be humble like Jesus who left heaven. And came to earth, the glories of heaven, to come to this broken world. Then we moved into verse 8. We saw the crucifixion of Jesus. And there we learned that we need to be humble like Jesus who submitted to his Father's will, not only through his life, but also to the point of death, even death on a cross. And today as we look at this, uh, these verses, verses 9 through 11, we see the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we learn this, church family, that we should be humble like Jesus who trusted the Father to exalt him at the proper time time who trusted the father to exalt him at the proper time a moment ago i said that there's a variety of ways that jesus displayed humility which exposes the variety of ways that we often fail to display humility but as jesus changes our hearts which is what he came to do he didn't just come to give us a ticket to heaven but he came to transform us right here and right now as he changes our hearts we're not only convicted of our pride but we also learn that like jesus we can we can display humility in all sorts of ways. Now, as we look at these verses today and we get into verses 9 through 11, it, it kind of it maybe seems, I don't know if you've ever thought this looking at this passage, but it kind of seems like maybe Paul has gone off on a rabbit trail. You know what that is, right? Gone off on a rabbit trail. Well, he started out talking about unity, talking about humility. We understand how those connect. Point to Jesus as an example. That makes sense. Um, what, what, is, what has Jesus done that was humble? Well, he left heaven, came to earth. That's that's easy to see that that was humility there. He, he, went all, he went all the way to a cross, a Roman cross, was humiliated there. That's easy to see his humility. But now it kind of seems like Paul just, he just couldn't help but keep talking about Jesus. And so he kind of runs off on this rabbit trail. And, um, and if he did, hey, that's fine. It doesn't matter. I, if the rabbit trail is about Jesus, we're better off for it. But I don't think he's just running off on some rabbit trail here. There, there's a reason why he moves into the exaltation of Christ. Paul still has the humility of Jesus, I believe, in mind, even as he writes about his exaltation. In fact, opportunities for exaltation are often great opportunities for humility. Opportunities for exaltation are often great opportunities for humility. For instance, whenever you see someone receive an award, maybe it's a, uh, a school award show or maybe it's something you watch on TV, some kind of music awards or, or something like that. You, you see somebody receiving an award. Uh, sometimes we'll stop and we watch. Now, how is this person, what's the manner in which he or she's going to accept this award? Why do we do that? Well, because 
the person's exaltation in that moment, receiving this reward, can be a display of great humility, which is very attractive to us. We like to see that. Or it can be a display of great pride and arrogance. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I start seeing that, I just want to turn it off because I don't want to watch somebody uh, make a big deal about themselves. But it's not just the moment of exaltation that it's an opportunity for humility. It's also the moments where someone is worthy of exaltation but doesn't receive it in that moment, which are incredible opportunities for humility. And I think we see both uh, displayed through Jesus in our passage today. I want to structure our thoughts the same way that we've structured in the past couple of weeks. I'm going to give you four truths, okay? First two are explanation, things that help us understand what's going on in this passage, how Jesus is displaying humility. The third one will be where we say... This is how we celebrate, okay? This is, this, is, this is what we celebrate about Jesus when it comes to his humility and his exaltation. And the fourth one will have to do with imitation. This is how we can put into practice that example that Jesus left for us. So let's jump right in. Truth number one, church, Jesus waited on the Father to exalt him. One of the things we need to see in this passage is that Jesus waited on the Father to exalt him. Look at verse 9. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Notice first who is being exalted. It's Jesus. That's the one who's being exalted to be lifted up, to be made much of. Notice why he's being exalted. It says, Therefore. That therefore means in light of what I've just said. Well, what is it that, what is it that Paul has just said? Well, he's just described the incarnation and crucifixion of Jesus. He's just told the Philippians that Jesus left the comforts of heaven to come and live among us like us in this sin-cursed world. He, he just told them that this perfect God-man humbly served sinners while he was here and that he humbly walked all the way through death's door, even death on a cross. He laid down his life to accomplish God, his Father's plan of salvation. So Paul says, therefore, in light of that, in light of what Jesus has done, God has highly exalted him. That's the why. That's why Jesus is exalted. He's done what no one else ever has done, what no one else will ever do. Now, what does it mean that Jesus has been exalted? What does that, what does that mean? Well, you're probably, most of you familiar with the story, you know that when Jesus died, well, he didn't stay there on the cross. He was taken down. He was put into a tomb. I mean, he didn't stay in that tomb. Praise the Lord. He was raised from the dead. God raised him up from the grave. And then uh, several weeks later, after meeting with his disciples, appearing to many people, he left this earth to go back to his Father in heaven. We call that the ascension of Jesus. And Scripture tells us in many different ways and in many different places that when he gets back to heaven, he sits down at the right hand of God, his Father. He's paid for sin, he's conquered death, and he has accomplished the mission for which Jesus, for which his Father sent him to this earth. And so Jesus sits down, having completed the task, and he is there at the Father's right hand. He's the rightful king, the king of kings and lord of lords. He's there right now. That's where Jesus is. You want to where is Jesus? He's not in the manger. He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He is at the Father's right hand. And he's interceding for us. Moment by moment, day by day. Interceding between us and his Father. And he's preparing a place for all those who have trusted in Christ. And he's awaiting that time, that, that appointed time when he will come back to this earth. To take what rightfully belongs to him. To conquer his enemies once and for all. To rescue his people. That's the exaltation of Jesus. But I want you to notice here who is doing the exalting. 
The focus seems to be a lot on Jesus, right? And rightfully so. Jesus is the one who is lifted up. Jesus is the one who is highly exalted. Jesus is the one who is given a name above every name. But notice that it's not Jesus who is exalting himself. I think it's very important here as we understand this passage in its context. Notice that it says, therefore, God, that's speaking about his father, has highly exalted on him. God, his father, has bestowed on him, has given him the name that is above every name. Jesus didn't exalt himself, church family. He waited on his father to exalt him. That is humility. Even in his exaltation, even in him being high and lifted up, even in him being made much of, we see his incredible humility on display. I want you to think real quickly about all the opportunities Jesus had in his life to exalt himself. Just think about that for a moment. We don't have time to go through all of those things today, but just maybe let me mention a couple. Think about when Jesus was in the wilderness. One of the things Satan tempted him with, I'll get it right in a second. One of the things Satan tempted Jesus with when he was in the wilderness was self-exaltation. That was one of the temptations. You remember Satan took Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem and he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And I'm I'm paraphrasing, throw yourself down from here because we know the angels are going to stop you from hitting the ground. They're going to keep you from being hurt. That's what that's was one of his temptations. So why, why was that a temptation? Why did Satan tempt him to do that? Well, I think that he was trying to tempt Jesus not to trust the timing of God. There was going to be a time when Jesus would be exalted. But listen, if he had thrown himself off the temple and, and the angels would have stopped him and there's this crowd always at the temple and it was a very public place, people would have seen that. And what would they have done? Oh, yeah, did you see that guy jump off the temple and he didn't get hurt? Yeah, we see that every day. And they would have gone, no, 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 that's not what they had done. They would have, oh, did you see that? Who is this? Oh, man, this, this must be God. We need to give him a, a position of honor, a seat of honor. They would, they'd have tried to exalt him. And Jesus said, no. What's he doing? He's trusting his father's timing. He humbly resisted the temptation to rush, rush ahead of God's plan, to rush ahead of God's timing. He waited on his father to exalt him. Think about John chapter 6 after Jesus performed the miracle of multiplying food. John wrote this. So Jesus just did this incredible miracle. Thousands and thousands of people are witnessing it. He's, and John writes this. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. They're getting excited, right? I mean, he's here. And then notice what happens. I mean, this is a great opportunity for self-exaltation. That's the great opportunity for Jesus to go, that's right. I am the prophet that is to come into the world. All right. But John writes this. Perceiving then. That they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew. Where did he go? He went to the mountain by himself. He trusted the Father's timing. He was waiting on God to exalt him. He resisted that temptation to exalt himself by humbly waiting on his Father to do that. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Therefore, God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see in this passage when it comes to the humility of Jesus is this. Jesus will be exalted as supreme Lord for the glory of the Father. There's this future exaltation that's going to happen. I mean, Jesus has been exalted, but, but his praise and his glory is just getting started. One day there's going to be this further exaltation. He's going to be exalted as the supreme Lord of all. But it's going to be for the glory of the Father. It's going to be for the glory of the Father. Verse 10 through 11. 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, one day, one day, every knee is going to bow before Jesus. Every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. Now, some of those will do so because they belong to him and it will be their joy to bow before the Lord. Others are going to bow out of out of being forced to. They're not going to love Jesus. They're not rescued from their sin. But when you're standing in the presence of the king and kings of Lord of Lords, there's nothing you can do but bow down. But one day, every knee is going to bow before Jesus, the king, confess that he is who he says he is. He has the name above every name. And yet, even in that moment of exaltation, we see that there will be humility. Why? Because he will be exalted to the glory of God, the Father. To the glory of God the Father. Church, I've got to take just a quick opportunity to, to make note of the Trinity here. Right? We see the, we see great workings of the, the Godhead here between the Father and the Son, of course, is the Holy Spirit as well. But we see their equality and their distinctiveness. They are distinct from one another. The Son is being exalted to the glory of God the Father. And yet, there's no way that they could be any different from one another in their godness or else idolatry would be taking place here. It will be idolatry for Jesus to be exalted, to be given the name of every, every name, unless he is fully God. But it's also just as true that, that, that it would be idolatry if Jesus was God and worthy of the glory, but then God the Father got the glory for Jesus being exalted. So we see the, the, the great mystery and beauty of the Godhead, of the Trinity here. God the Father, God the Son, distinct and yet one. And at the same time, we see extreme humility. Displayed by the Son of God. We see Jesus the Son being exalted for the glory of the Father. Jesus not only displayed humility by waiting on His Father's timing, but He also displays humility in the way that He receives that recognition. In the way He receives that honor that is due to Him. He receives it in such a way that His Father gets the praise and the glory and the honor. And so, we celebrate and we imitate. What do we do with this? What do we do with these truths? We celebrate this Jesus and we seek to imitate him. Let's start with this celebration, okay? Remember last week we talked about how the order is important. We've got to celebrate, we've got to receive what Jesus has done for us and celebrate that before we can imitate. So let's talk for just a moment about this celebration. Why, what, what reason do we have here to celebrate? Well, we could probably think of lots of reasons to celebrate Jesus from this passage. Let me offer one. Church family, Jesus looked after our interests. Remember, that's the definition of humility. That's the definition that Paul gives in verse 4. To look after another's interests besides yourself. That's humility. Jesus looked after our interests by becoming what we needed. And that is a God-exalted Savior King. I don't know if that's right grammar, but I just tried to pack all those titles of Jesus in one. A God-exalted Savior King. And we need that. We need that. When we looked at the incarnation of Jesus, we saw that Jesus, he looked after our interests by becoming what we needed, a perfect man. And we looked at the crucifixion of Jesus, we learned that Jesus looked after our interests by becoming what we needed. And that was a substitute sacrifice. And church family, as we look at the exaltation of Jesus, we see that Jesus looked after our interests by becoming what we needed. A God-exalted Savior King. A God-exalted Savior King. Now, we might not think that we have a need of that in our lives. We know that we need a sacrifice to take our place. We know that that sacrifice must be a perfect human. We talk about that a lot. But do we need a king? Do we need a God-exalted Savior King? 
We absolutely do. Friends, Jesus described people as lost. Like a sheep without a shepherd. You know what sheep do without a shepherd? They wander all over. There's no one to lead them. There's no one to guide them. There's no one to say, this is where you need to go. There's no one to protect them from the enemies that are out there. They need, they need that ruler in their lives. And Jesus said that we're like sheep without a shepherd. The Bible describes humanity as rejecting the rule of God in our lives. We, that's the, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We reject the rule and reign of God in our lives. We say, I've got this, God. I can handle this. And sometimes, if we're not careful, even as followers of Christ, we, we, we can do that. We can, we can talk about the cross. We can say, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus to save me. That's the only way that I can get to heaven. I need Him to die for me. But I don't need Him to tell me what to do with my life. That's how we act a lot of times. We don't say that, but we act like that a lot of times. Friends, we need God to tell us what to do with our lives. He knows what is good for us. He made us and He loves us. But in our sinfulness, we often reject him as king. And so we needed this king to come. We needed him to be a God-exalted king. The king that God would choose. Not a king that we would choose. Goodness, look at the, look at the people of Israel. When they tried to choose a king for him, it was awful. It never worked out. I mean, they wouldn't obey him anyways, but even if they had of those kings would have led them astray eventually sooner or later. We needed God's king. God's exalted king. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. This king is a forever king. God promised to send him. And God kept that promise. He would rule in righteousness and justice. He would rule in perfect wisdom. He would be a king who would shepherd his people well. He would be a king who would save by laying down his life for his sheep. In order to provide them with everlasting protection from the enemy. And from the coming wrath of God. That's exactly what we need. One of my favorite prophecies of Jesus. And we often think about this simply in the context of, of Bethlehem and the prophecy that Jesus is going to be in Bethlehem. But there's more to this prophecy. I don't have time to explain it, but just listen. Okay, listen to this prophecy about Jesus. Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be. Now note this. Not a babe in a manger, not even just a, a, a savior, somebody to die for us. But it says, from you, from you, Bethlehem, shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler. There's a king coming from Bethlehem. A king. That's what the wise men were looking for. They, they got the Herod and they said, hey, where's the new king at? Where's the new king? Shall come forth one who's to be ruler in Israel, who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Go on in that passage, it says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the, name, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. His sheep, those who belong to him, shall dwell secure when this God-exalted Savior King is ruling and reigning over us. We shall dwell secure, and he shall be their peace. The passage also says that now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Friends, we need a king. We need that saving shepherd, enemy conquering king. And it's none other. And it's only the Lord Jesus Christ who meets that need. 
And it required him to be humble. It required him to come and lay down his life so that he could be that God-exalted Savior King. So that he could rule and reign over a bunch of wandering sheep who are prone to lose their way over and over and over again. He humbled himself so that he could be our God-exalted Savior King. Let me ask you, have you received this King as your King? Have you received what this king has done for you? He's laid down his life to save you. Have you believed in him? Are you submitting to to his rule and reign in your life today? Friend, if you have not trusted in Christ, you must. It is our only hope in life and in death that our lives belong to King Jesus. That he is ruling and reigning in our hearts and over our lives. And then when we have received Him, what do we do? Well, we celebrate. We give glory and honor to God for sending Christ to us. And we imitate Him in the way that we live our lives. And so the final truth I want to share with you, truth number four, is is the truth about imitation. How do we imitate this? I mean... I mean, we're not going to be exalted like, like Jesus. We're not going to be given a name that is above every name. So how do we imitate this? Well, think about it this way. I think we should leave our exaltation in God's hands as we humbly serve one another. Church, we ought to leave our exaltation in God's hands. That's how we can imitate Jesus. That's what he did. And we can do the same by his Holy Spirit's power in us. Here's what I mean. Have you ever ever been tempted to exalt yourself? Just be be honest, be real with yourself for a moment. Before the Lord. The Lord knows. So might as well be honest. Have you ever been tempted to exalt yourself? Well, probably a lot of us say, Oh no, I've never tried to exalt myself. And we think about the word exalt, it sounds like, you know, we're walking up on to a throne or something like well, I've never I've never tried to do that. Let me ask it another way. Have you have you ever served in some way? done something good, helped someone out, volunteered for something, maybe held your tongue when somebody was being rude to you, maybe forgiven someone who was hard to forgive, but then you realize that no one recognized you for that great act of kindness and humility that you just displayed. You realize that nobody nobody congratulated you, nobody said, that was really good, that service that you just did. That, that, that way you volunteered your time, that was really good. That, man, the way that you just held your tongue right there and you didn't, you didn't lash back, I, I'll tell you what, you did a good job. Nobody did that. Nobody said that. And as it sank in that you had worked really hard or served really faithfully or given very generously and maybe shown great kindness in some way, but no one seemed to notice or give you the credit that you felt you deserved, maybe perhaps you started looking for opportunities to toot your own horn, as they say. Opportunities to maybe throw in a little word about that great thing that you did, that great act of humility, so that people would recognize you and praise you. Can we say it this way? Maybe look for an opportunity to exalt yourself. Or even if you didn't express those feelings outwardly, perhaps you sulked inwardly. You kind of got by yourself and you said, man, I can't believe no one noticed what I did. I can't believe no one told me how good of a job I did. 
But I can't believe no one, no one, can we say it, exalted me. You see, pride is sneaky and pride can be subtle. And sometimes even when we try to display humility, it then turns itself on its head in our hearts and it turns into an act of pride, which should have been an act of humility. And we know this is true. We know this is true about us. Jesus reserved his harshest rebuke for those who fell into the temptation of self-exaltation. Consider his words for just a moment to the scribes and the Pharisees. Consider this. They're stinging. If we'll not just see them as being said to the scribes and Pharisees, but if we'll see them as being said to us as people who are guilty of the sin of self-exaltation. Jesus said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. He's talking about their garments. And they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And then he finished that passage by saying this. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, pride is sneaky. It can be subtle. So we want to learn from Jesus. We need to leave our exaltation in God's hands as we keep humbly serving one another day by day. That's what Jesus did. He trusted the Father's timing and He directed all the glory to the Father. He sought none of it for Himself. And maybe you're saying, but that is, you're implying that we're going to be exalted one day. Well, I, don't, I don't just want to imply that. I want to say, yes, absolutely that's what's going to happen. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. You ask, what does this exaltation look like? I'm not exactly sure. I haven't seen it yet. I don't exactly know what this exaltation is going to look like. But I do know that God has promised to take us to be with Him, to transform us to be like Jesus, to purify us into a holy and spotless bride for Jesus to marry. And He's promised to reign on the earth, promised us that we will reign on the earth as a kingdom and priest to our God. I don't know about you, but that sounds like some pretty cool and awesome exaltation right there. And yet it's all going to be for the praise of God our Father and our God-exalted Savior King who is sitting on the throne. We'll just turn that exaltation right back into praise for our God and Father. Church, exaltation is coming for us. We don't need to attempt self-exaltation ourselves. We just need to keep faithfully and humbly serving our Lord Jesus Christ by serving one another. And when the time of our exaltation comes, we'll give all the glory to Jesus who humbly went from heaven to earth who humbly went from life to death, and who humbly went from the grave to throne, heaven's throne, to save us from our sin, including the sin of our pride. And so let's make sure we've received the humility of Jesus. Make sure you've believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, and let's celebrate that. Listen, I know Christmas Day was yesterday. But Jesus is Lord every day, and we can celebrate Him every day of our lives. But remember, what's, what's the point of this passage? We celebrate by imitating the humility of Jesus. Church family, let's commit to that. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of our Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You so much for Your holy word. We thank You for Your Word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we thank You so much that You would save wretched, prideful, self-exalting sinners like us. God, search our hearts. See if there be any subtle pride 
definitely any overt pride, but even that subtle pride that creeps in. And God, may we reflect upon the humility of Jesus that even in His exaltation, He displayed great humility. Father, will we take this passage that we have been marinating in this Christmas season and Father, by Your help, by Your grace, by Your Spirit living in us, Lord, may we apply it to our lives today, tomorrow, throughout the coming year, and every day until that day when we get to see our humble, exalted Savior face to face. In Jesus' name we pray.